Welcome to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Bullock. People, organizations, and communities need to prepare for and respond to natural and man-made disasters in a timely manner and in the most effective way possible. Our program examines what is being done before, during, and after a disaster and those unexpected events to keep you in the know. Disasters can happen to anyone. The question is, when will it happen to you? Now, here is your host, business continuity and disaster planning expert, Alex Bullock. Welcome to another episode of Preparing for the Unexpected. I'm your host, Alex Fullick, and as always, we like to talk about things related to disaster recovery, business continuity, resilience, COVID, anything that helps you, your organization, or your community prepare for, respond to, and overcome adverse situations. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, please feel free. You can find me on LinkedIn. I am the only Alex Fullick there. I'm really easy to find, and I do respond to everything I get. It is that time again. Actually, it's been a while since our last. I know. Time. Welcome back, Regina Phelps. Alex, it Regina. is such a pleasure to be with you as always. Did we skip a month or two? I can't remember. Uh, just one month. Seems uh, like forever, doesn't it? Schedules couldn't hook up. Yeah, it does feel like forever. Uh, uh, Especially after, I think this is our 37th or 38th time. Oh but uh, we we've recorded an episode, so, you know, and that doesn't include uh, you know meeting at live broadcasts or anything either. So, <laughs> what can I say? We're two peas in a pod. Yeah. So we have some interesting topics to talk about today, too. We do, and it's not COVID. No, although it's not. the COVID emergency has ended in the United States. Has you have you officially ended your COVID emergency in Canada? I think you have, haven't you? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, and, nice and, not to and, talk about. To be honest, nobody was tracking anything anyway. You know, at this point, right? right. Just, everyone knows what to do when they've got the sniffles. They want, they just stay home. Uh, you know, nobody's recording anything. No one's going for shots anymore. There there aren't any uh, centers to go to to get checked out. Nothing. So right. you know, people are just treating as though it's a seasonal flu. I'm not feeling well. Staying home. There we go. Right. It is. It is. Con- mm-hmm. It has really changed. And of course the. And of course, things do move on, right? And I totally understand that. But the thing that I think is disconcerting just a tiny bit is that there's still a lot of illness that's going on, at least here in the United States. And again, as you said, many times for most people, it's mostly the sniffles. Although we still have a thousand people dying a week in the U.S. That's not small change. So 4,000 people a month are dying that wouldn't have died otherwise. But I think the thing that's just interesting as a both as somebody who's done pandemic planning for so many years, but also somebody in our field is, is that when you stop and think about it, is that no one's no one's following what's going on. You know, no one's really tracking variants or subvariants. So mm. what I always think about in the back of my mind is, oh my God, <laughs> you know, could we end up being in the same place we were a few years ago next month or next year or two years from now? Because nobody's paying any attention again. Yeah. So that's just that gnaws at me a little bit. But yes, we're definitely back to business as usual here in the United States. And really, I think around the world. Yeah, yeah. Every everything is open. Travel. I don't know of any mask mandates, though. There are some recommendations mm-hmm. or, you know, with hospitals and old age homes and other places like that. But other than that, yep, that's it. Yep, same here in the states. So we're going to talk about something different. Okay, what's it going to be today? We're going to talk about poly crises. Isn't doesn't that fix your teeth? <laughs> <laughs> 
That's a good one. I like that. Well, I'm going to show a deck of slides. And what I'd like to do today is I'd like us to talk a little bit about this. I really want to focus on geopolitical issues and not Ukraine and uh, Russia, but uh, some other large geopolitical issue that's burgeoning and talk a little bit about that. So I'd like to sort of go back and forth related to that particular topic and see how we land. So how's that sound for you? Sounds good. Great. Well, let's dig in here. Let me show my slides as usual. Whoops. Yeah, I find this this concept of polycrisis really interesting. Okay, like you might say, oh, God, Regina, where, where did you get this idea? Well, I didn't make it up, although it's a pretty catchy title. It was actually created by a... Um, a uh, French guy, a French philosopher, actually. And he coined, he coined this term in the 1990s. Yeah, but it got a whole new life this year, early on in the year, in January at Davos. Now, I'm not a Davos devotee, and I don't follow the World Economic Forum closely, but this was the thing that really the media seemed to catch worldwide this year from Davos. And this was a because a particular economic historian, Adam Tooze, what a last name, right? Tooze. Mm. He's the guy that basically started talking about this. And it got people super excited because it really describes the world we happen to be living in right now. And it basically is where you've got present crises like the COVID-19 pandemic, like the Ukraine war, like some other geopolitical issues, uh, things such as the economic situation in many parts of the world, et cetera. Those have a tendency to potentially interact with future risks that are just slightly ahead of us. And what they can do is these simultaneous and overlapping crises can create a much bigger issue. And it actually makes a lot of sense when you sort of peel it back. And and because I think it's something that is, I mean, there is so much going on around the world right now. I don't know if some days I just feel like, oh, my God, between both economic related issues, all the geopolitical things, the health related things, just the general shift in governments across the world, there is a lot happening. And, and it makes me kind of a little bit on edge, and yet I've been practicing this work for 41 years, but it's never, ever been quite like this. It's pretty remarkable. Mm -hmm. True. Do you feel that way too? Uh, I do. I do. Um, I, I think I said in an episode quite a long time ago that um, sometimes I think the Mayans had it right. They said there would be significant change after 2012 that would impact the world. And I think everybody interpreted that to be it would happen on a certain date within 2012, but it's actually, there would be change, a new change coming after 2012. Well, ever since then, we have had all kinds of things and it just seems to be uh, like snow plowing. It's getting bigger and bigger. Mm -hmm. I'd forgotten about the Mayan uh, prediction. And yeah, that's actually really true. I think 2012 was Certainly a line in the stand, and we certainly started to see that in politics, but also in geopolitical related issues, and certainly in rise and falls of governments around the world. It's been, I mean, the last 10 years have been, I think, brutal, yeah. actually. Right? And yeah. so this theme, actually, I think is really important. And I think in our world, the kind of work that we do, we have to really be aware of this because I think especially as times are tough economically in many parts of the world, I don't know about Canada. Are you having layoffs and, and business closures in Canada? 
right now? Uh, definitely layoffs when it comes to the large tech uh, tech companies because they've been laying off, you know, uh, large percentages of their workforces, and that impacts us up here. I'm not so much uh, sure about small businesses, um, but I definitely know the large corporations are cutting cutting back on things and uh, yeah. laying people off or trying to get them to retire early. But there's a lot of pushback from those that want to retire early because they lost a lot of money because of the pandemic. Right. You know, and right. some of the other economic circumstances that are around, they don't have the money to retire now. Right. Right. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Here in the States and certainly my European clients, there's a lot of layoffs really across all industries. It seems to be affecting almost everybody. And there's a lot of uncertainty as the interest rates have continued to climb and trying to deal with inflation. That's kind of destabilized a variety of economic issues. It certainly has made the housing market much tighter here in, in the United States and in Europe. I'm assuming the same for you guys. Has your rates been going up as well? I haven't followed yeah. the Bank of Canada as closely. Yeah. Yeah. It's basically the same. They're, they're, every, yeah. They've been going up. I, I think they uh, stopped. They were going to raise it, but they didn't, I mm -hmm. believe, the last round. Yeah. But everyone's expecting it. You know, if things continue the way it is, then they probably will. Right. Right. And so I think as money has gotten tighter, the housing market is constricted. Uh, the stock market's very edgy. Um, we've had some bank failures here in the United States. I mean, that's pretty typical because we have a, a lot of banks. And so it's not uncommon that a bank, a smaller bank would fail like once a month, maybe out of thousands of banks. But we've had two, well, actually four very high profile banks that have failed in the last 60 days. And so I think people are just generally on edge and um, and fairly anxious. Um, mm -hmm. And so I think you sort of tie all those things together, plus what's going on geopolitically, et cetera. It makes for the opportunity for poly crisis. And I've done a fair amount of chatting about talking about value and issues related to uh, really improve uh, how our industry needs to really focus on value. Because I, for example, I've had a lot of my clients who have had layoffs in their business continuity departments in the last 90 days. Um, and they said, no, 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 it's never going to happen. It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. Business continuity is a line on an expense sheet. And if you can't prove that you have value, then it's going to be very tough to keep your department intact. And so this is sort of something I want people to be thinking about under this issue of poly crisis, because we have a lot to contribute and um, and we can use it as part of our arsenal about why our work is so important. Mm -hmm. Now, when the uh, the World Economic Forum uh, and actually there's and I'll send you the report and you could put it on your site, what your YouTube site, when they issued their risk analysis, which they do every year, this one was really good and kind of scary. And what I want you to do is if you kind of take a moment, let me get my glasses so I can clearly see these smaller print. What they did is they surveyed um, all of the individuals who normally, which are risk managers around the world and what they're in executives. And they're asking questions related to how they feel about the short term versus the long term as far as the overall outlook for the world. And there's some very scary kind of stats in here, because if you look at the darker orange, for example, and they notice is like, what did you feel? What do you feel over the next two years, short term? And then what do you feel over the long term? And 13% of those surveyed in, in this particular ex executive and risk manager uh, survey said that they thought 13% of them said that progressive tipping points and persistent crises were likely to lead to catastrophic global outcomes. 13%, that's way higher than it's ever been. 
And that's pretty significant. And then the tenure, 20% of them felt that that we were at this progressive tipping point. So between two and 10 years, to up to 20% of the people surveyed felt that things weren't going so well and we would actually have the possibility of having persistent and catastrophic outcomes, which is, that's a little unnerving. Yeah. Now, the other one, which is also not so great news either, is that the big brown part that you see under the two-year section was a 69% said that they thought things would remain consistently volatile across economies, across industries, across countries, and there would be multiple shocks that would cause a divergent trajectory so that we'd be going in multiple different directions. 69% said that was likely in the next two years. And then 34% thought that was in 10 years. And if you go all the way over to the end of the chart, there's not too many optimistic people. And that was that's the yellow section, where in, ten, in two years, 2% said that there would be renewed stability with a revival of global resilience. And 9% said that would happen in 10 years. But as you can see, the vast majority of people are not feeling very warm and fuzzy certainly about the next two years, but even well into the 10 years. Yeah, that's that's incredible numbers. You know, between between the two years, 80 to 90% of people don't see things in a good light. Right. Right. I mean, to me, that was shocking. And we're talking about executives that lead your companies. We're talking about risk managers who are your risk managers in your organizations or organizations that your company works with. That's pretty significant. And these are people that have a broad vision about what's going on around the world, uh, very well attuned to global related issues and not very positive. Mm. What that says for us in our industry is that we really need to think about and maintain a really global outlook. And what I find in our industry is a lot of our colleagues, you know, they're super busy in their own jobs and their own environments, and they're they're following things maybe within their industry, but they're not taking a more broader perspective. And what I'm really encouraging people in our industry is to sort of step back and look at some of these reports, look at some of these things, because there is they are forecasting things that we should be paying attention to, and that we can also educate people within our company by moving these kind of documents forward also thinking about them with uh, exercises that we might design, et cetera. And I'll talk more about that in a bit. But I think we have to expand our vision because, I mean, when you look at that large number of individuals who see a progressing progressive tipping point towards persistent crises that are going to lead to catastrophic outcomes, that should make us all think, wow, okay, that's awful. And what can I be doing as a continuity crisis management professional to be able to meet these challenges? Because if I can position my knowledge, my skills, my abilities, I'm going to be able to help my current employer and perhaps other employers along the line because I have broadened my view. Does that make sense? It does. And you would think that organizations would um, be be having that wider, or at least people in our industry would have that wider view because for years, we've been talking about supply chain management. Right. If we don't have this wider view, that means we haven't been looking at supply chain management in a full, fully comprehensive view. We're just looking at how a product or service gets to us. 
right. not what could be causing that product or service to not get to us, which could be all of the you know these other other things, geopolitical um, aspects and things that are happening around the world. I think it, so. It's kind of surprising that we're only looking at one piece of that, not the whole the whole picture. Right. And I think many times those people I work with will say, well, you know, Regina, that's not my ultimate job. I'm not the risk manager. And I'll say, yes, I understand that. But the greatest that the, you can you can provide more value to your organization. You can prove your value on a daily basis by literally being aware of these types of issues so that when you're actually engaging with executives, you're exa- engaging with other departments across the enterprise, you can actually be asking about some of these questions. You can find out who's monitoring these things in the organization because sometimes people get their heads down in their jobs and they may not be even thinking about this. Yeah. And I think we can we can prove more value for ourselves, but we can also really make a great contribution by broadening our vision more widely. And so I that I, I will make sure that I make I'll make a note and I'll send you this report so that you can actually um, post it and people can read it because it's really thoughtful. And this, I think, gives you an idea of the level of concern that people are feeling around the world. And it's not just us in the U.S. This is a worldwide survey. And this particular um, survey really looked at five big areas, but I'm going to really, what it really boiled down to three really significant ones. One was that these risks are being fueled by economic related issues in the world, geopolitical issues in the world and societal issues in the world. And I want to say that overarchingly, all of these things tie back to the pandemic as well. And one of our last conversations, we talked about the sort of long-term issues of the pandemic, of which all three of these certainly are fueled by. So the pandemic, I mean, many of these things have been boiling for a long time, but the pandemic really was the, uh, you know, the the light of the match that basically ignited many of these issues, mm-hmm. certainly economically, geopolitically, and societally. And so I think it's important for us to be aware of these. And I want to peel some of these back, and we can talk a little bit about each one of them in turn, because I think they're important for us to um, be aware of. So... Um, what well, the key thing about these is what they're doing, and this is why it's such a big deal for us, is it's really causing destabilization. And you're certainly seeing that both in supply chain management, but you're also seeing with that with migration of populations around the world. We see that at our southern border. You're seeing it at your border with people that are actually have somehow got through the U.S. and ended up in Canada. Uh, where there's a lot of destabilization. You're seeing that with certainly uh, countries in Europe, with the destabilization of many countries in Africa, uh, Ukraine, and other places where there's this movement of people and this migration is causing a lot of destabilization and risk. And so that's contributing to all of these kinds of things as we as we go through this. It is interesting. The uh, Throughout history, they've said that there have been some mass migrations and that we're in one now. Oh, my gosh. Because it's not just one area of the world that's doing it, but it's happening everywhere. Right. Right. And, and you know, it, it's, it makes, of course, perfect sense. Because if you, for example, if you're in Africa and you're a fisherman and you're in South Africa and all the fish in your area have just been fished up by gigantic trawlers off, off the coast, then you're going to move because you can't feed your family. 
and and they migrate north or they migrate around the other side of the of the tip of the uh, continent. And that migration is because of food or it could be because of climate change and this change in the water and et cetera, et cetera. So all of that begins. And then you have people moving, which then destabilizes the countries they move into and so on and so on. So, you know, this is all interestingly connected. I think we should maybe take a break and then we'll continue on. How's that? Yeah, that sounds good. We're talking with Regina Phelps today and we will be right back. Follow Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Not enough women are talking about money. Lisa Chastain is aiming to change that. If you are feeling uncertain with your financial decisions, join us on Real Money, Mondays at 10 a.m. on the Voice America Business Channel, where you will learn how to become more capable with your financial choices. Listen in and hear stories from other women on how they tackled their financial challenges. You will learn from leading industry experts all the tips, tricks, and advice that you need to establish financial confidence and freedom. Listen in Mondays on Real Money with Lisa Chastain. Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Preparing for the Unexpected with Alex Fuller. Email your questions to info at stone-road.com. Again, that's I-N-F-O at stone-road.com. Now back to Preparing for the Unexpected. Welcome back. Today we're talking with Regina Phelps, and we've been talking about polycrisis. Regina, back to you. Some really interesting stuff here. Well, thank you. So now we're going to go and look, explore those three different topics that I mentioned before we took a break. And I'm going to start, first of all, with uh, the economic related issues. And this, of course, is important because we're all feeling this. And this is certainly global inflation. So when you stop and think about um, inflation here in the United States, our inflation we is has been you know between two and three percent. It's now beginning to fall. But as you can see from the slide, there's a lot of countries where you know, they would they would be thrilled to have two or three percent. Um, and I mean, I do a lot of work in South America. At one point for the last two years, Argentina was a hundred percent for all of 20 and 21. It dropped to, oh my gosh, 76 percent and 22. Uh, now I think it's in the 60s. I mean, those are astronomical numbers. Yeah. And so, but as you can see around the world, when you talk about, we were just talking about how people migrate, well, you can stop and look at these different inflation figures. And some countries are really, 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 really suffering with super high inflation. 
And yes, you know, we don't like it when our inflation's two uh, or 3% and yours is a little bit higher than ours and you don't like that either. But there are a lot of other countries where this is really destabilizing those countries in general. And so when you begin to look at this overall, um, so far the IMF is saying that, you know, knock on wood, that the inflation rates for 2023 are going to be lower than they have been for the last three years as the economy starts to stabilize. And so they're looking at the overall rate globally, if you add all these countries together, is about 6.6%. And their forecast for 2024, it should drop to 4.3. But I also want to say to you that anything at any time could change that. And that really ties to geopolitical issues. And we've certainly seen that um, with the war in Ukraine. When you look at the inflation-related pressures we've had, the pandemic drove a lot of this. And then all of a sudden the war in Ukraine uh, occurred, which then destabilized the food market, primarily in wheat, which then hugely impact inflation in many countries. And so all of that has destabilized um, many locations around the world. Uh, so if you're an optimistic person, you could say that the good news is, is that it looks like a lot of this double digit inflation you see a lot in a lot of these countries will be less prevalent uh, this year and going forward. But I will say to you that places like Zimbabwe and Venezuela and Turkey and Poland and stuff are just really in deep trouble still. And so it's not, you know, we're not all going to be singing and be happy. It's there's a lot of places that are still going to be suffering. But this is a big issue. And this impacts, again, this even impacts our work. Um, Because if you're, again, thinking of supply chain related, related issues and you're thinking about where you're gathering supplies from. So, for example, today. Uh, the United States is having an acute drug shortage because many drugs, the raw ingredients are derived from several countries, India, China, several others in Africa and in Asia. They are like right now, the there are shortages of many cancer therapies. Even sometimes people have a hard time getting Tylenol. Mm-hmm. Why? Because again, we are so connected with all these different countries, and that becomes a problem. And so that even further escalates at um, inflation because these things become more um, rare, right? So the things that you use every day, the things that you go to a pharmacy for and expect to be able to find, you go to a hospital expecting to be able to get your cancer treatment. Oh my gosh, they don't can't get the drug. That just sounds like a like you know like twenty years ago or thirty years ago, but it's happening right now today in the U.S. And I, I would imagine the same thing might be going on in Canada as well. I don't know. Do you have any sense of that? Uh, I with with some of the the drugs like cancer drugs and things like that, I wouldn't know, but I I do see a change and a difference on the shelvings in pharmacies. Mm-hmm. They for a while they were literally em- empty; you couldn't get anything. But right. there's still, and that was, you know, six months ago before, before Christmas. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's only half full now. Yeah. So yeah. it's still, still there. I, half full shelves. Is that better? Well, I guess it's better than none, but you know, it's mm-hmm. still not back to where we would want it to be. Right. Right. Yeah. A lot of the supply chain disruptions, a lot of it fed, fed by, fed by economic issues and geopolitical issues. And I think that's, that's an important piece. So I think this is this is driving a lot of instability. If people can't feed their families, mm-hmm. then they're going to move. Then we have geopolitical issues. Then we have all kinds of 
shifts in the in the global scheme of things. The geopolitical one is really huge, and I want to spend some time chatting about this. And of course, when we think of this, what we're looking about, and we we first think about the Russian invasion, right? And the impact that that really had. So that obviously the impact on Ukraine is huge. And then of course, all many people that were in Ukraine began to migrate. I mean, women and children left by the thousands, hundreds of thousands when the war first started. And and just think of all the countries that they went to all over Europe in particular, and how that really began to have, and still to this day is where those people are located and how that's caused a lot of, you know, shift in that particular country. Uh, The destabilization and the famine that's occurring in Africa right now, really fed by this war in Ukraine. Uh, Certainly all of the angst about the fear of um, nuclear weapons, uh, and you certainly see that a lot in the rhetoric uh, with the Putin and the Kremlin. But then you have all these refugees everywhere, uh, which is really, really a significant issue. I want to talk for a moment about China and Taiwan. I do a lot of work uh, in the geopolitical space. And currently right now, I'm doing a fair number of uh, tabletop exercises. I'm going to take these slides down just for a moment so we can just look at each other for a change instead of be looking at this. Um, So what I'm doing is a huge number of tabletop exercises involving Taiwan and China. So many of my clients have locations both in China and Taiwan. Uh, The ones in Taiwan are primarily technology-based. The ones in China are technology-based and also regular American companies. If you or your uh, anybody listening to our podcast has those kinds of uh, uh, same issues where they've got people in those countries, you need to be thinking right now what you're going to do if China begins to move aggressively on Taiwan and or becomes more aggressive in that country. So what we've been doing is we've been doing two types of exercises. One of them is a Taiwan exercise. And so in that particular case, There's kind of three different scenarios that you could expect that could happen with Taiwan. The most likely one would be a blockade where the Chinese government would actually, and they actually just did an exercise on this about a month ago, which is really creepy, Mm -hmm. um, where where they actually, (coughs) excuse me, my allergies, um, where they actually uh, had many ships and submarines around the island, and they were doing flyovers not of the island across the island, but they were flying, you know, kind of along the coastline, uh, both on the east and west side. Now, the plan that the Chinese have have said, and I actually uh, found a book online, not a book, but it was actually a strategic paper, the Chinese military, that was literally about one of their strategies for how to deal with the uh, island states. They didn't say Taiwan, but you didn't have to be a rocket scientist to figure it out about how they would actually implement this particular blockade. Uh, Taiwan, for example, has only two weeks of fuel on on island. Everything is brought in. All the food's brought in. All the fuel's brought in. Everything is brought in. It's a very small island, and two-thirds of it is very mountainous um, and with no ability to grow things. And so, and the other half, the other third is really where people live. So they don't have a lot of agricultural spaces. They can't make their own power. Uh, So they bring in liquefied natural gas and coal. So the Chinese could simply stop allowing 
the the import of you know it's basically stopping every ship shipping in coal or liquefied natural gas for two weeks and that country would go dark now you might say well gosh it's a small little country and i'd feel bad but i don't care i mean i don't mean to be callous but you know you might just say well it's just a small island well the thing that you're all, all of our colleagues need to remember is that 60 percent of all the silicon chips in the world are made in taiwan 60% of every chip. So that means the one in your computer, the one in your phone, the one in your camera, every single one of them that you own, which is probably a zillion devices. Think of your car, think of your washing machine now, think of your, you know, just think of any appliance you have. So 60% of the chips come from Taiwan. So you may think, well, gosh, it's terrible. Well, I will tell you that the, the world economy and the supply chain will just go to a grinding halt. And then, of course, what ultimately could happen is then then China would take over all those industries. Mm -hmm. Right. Sure. So if you have any interest in geopolitical issues for your, comp your company, you should really be thinking about doing some exercises about Taiwan to really think about what that means, even if you don't have a presence in Taiwan, but you actually utilize many of the products that come from that island, i.e. chips, how you would manage that particular issue. So that's one geopolitical exercise. And I'll tell you, they're fascinating and scary and creepy. And in my company, we have, uh, I mean, we do fabulous exercises. And one of my um, colleagues on my team is actually a fabulous AB, AB producer. And we produce videos that look like news broadcasts that look like the real deal that scare the hell out of anybody that watches them yeah you've showed oh me god. a couple of those <laughs> oh my god oh my god oh my god oh my god the other thing that we're doing is china so i don't know if you followed the news in the last week china um if you have offices in china you give up a lot of control to be there they have the right to look at your technology. You assume that you should assume that everything that's being done there is being surveilled. Mm -hmm. uh, they can come into your office at any time. That's just the way it rolls, right? So last week, there were three consulting companies where they had a raid. Bain and Company was one of them, probably the most famous in the US, but also as a group called Capstone. And there was one other. And they're consulting companies. Uh, they're giving advice to uh, American businesses, primarily doing work in China. In some cases, they had executives removed. Other cases, they had files and uh, hard drives taken. And so right now, I'm designing, I don't know, five, six exercises with American companies who are actually uh, in China who could have the same thing happen tomorrow. And the question is, what would you do? How would you manage it? How would you manage the communications? What would you do about your employees? How would you get people out? How would you try to preserve your intellectual property uh, so it doesn't get stolen? I mean, if you're in China and you're not thinking about this and you're not digging deep on it, you are making a huge mistake. And so I know a lot of people may not be doing that right now, but they need to be thinking about it because it is a crisis waiting to happen. And we don't know exactly what will occur. But certainly if Taiwan is invaded by China, uh, that you could have two issues begin to happen. We'd lose all the chips out of Taiwan, that's 60% of the market. And then we would have this big geopolitical crisis with 
companies in China. You know, how would you get people out? You might, everybody says to me, we have international SOS. It's like, yeah, have you thought about when everybody in the world wants to leave? You know, you're going to be high. You're going to be hiring uh, private planes to get people out. You have, should have a country evac plan for all of those, and it better be more than international SOS. And how, what are you going to do with your intellectual property? And what are you going to do with your computers that are there? And how are you going to make sure that all that stuff is removed so nothing is left? I mean, listen, you need to think about this like an embassy being, and you know, and you're leaving. It's the same thing. You know, yeah. do you burn stuff. I mean, what are you going to do? Um, don't be flat-footed. We're we are in perilous times, and I'm not being uh, hyperbolic here. I'm just saying, like this is how it is. Yeah, <clears throat> you have to respond quickly because sometimes when those events occur, you have uh, you know 24 to 48 hours to get everybody out. Right. And they, if you have, if you are doing business, uh, you know, China's not a small country either. You right. know, it's a big country, so if you've got multiple offices in that country. Right. Right. Uh, you know, I could even use the U.S. or Canada as an example as well, because you know, they're big companies. You could have people spread out that entire country. Right. Well, how are you going to get them to a single location? Right. Get them out. Or how are you going to get multiple planes or buses or whatever the case may be to yep. all these various locations to get them out? Yep. I have clients that at minimum have them in Beijing and Shanghai. And then there's many other, depending on what the company is, they have many other industrial locations where they could have smaller offices. But yeah, this is a big deal. And I will tell you, every board of directors that has a presence, every, any company that's, uh, that's got a presence in China, their board is all over this. And they're asking about what are we doing to make sure that we are not going to be losing everything. And so I think our <clears throat> colleagues should be thinking about this if you have any locations in China or Taiwan, um, because it's a and the, and that's I'm just talking about just the survival mode of that, and then of course there's all the business continuity related issues. But there is a lot to peel back here, and I, this is occupying all of my time right now with our clients. Yeah, it, it it's got to be a struggle because there have been instances. You, you, we saw the um, what was it uh, called uh, Arab uprising. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. You know, where that happened in many countries and, uh, you know, the UK, US. Yeah, yes, that was it. And trying to get their people out because things were just changing so quickly. Mm -hmm. They were encountering that. So, right. and, some, and, you know, if you're doing business in North Africa and you're throughout Europe, there's probably a chance you're in China already. So hopefully some of these companies have learned that. Right. Don't bet on it. And yeah, I wouldn't bet. I mean, I'm not kidding. I'm not kidding. People have hired us and they've actually done kind of emergency evacuations out of other locations. And their current solution is like, well, we're just going to have international SOS come. It's like, you have not learned a thing. Yeah. Um, you need to think about, I mean, and, and you have to be thinking deep about this, but what you have to also be thinking about, just like, I mean, we do a lot of work with the World Bank and they just like, for example, evacuated Sudan. It's the same kind of thing. You can't be like on the fly thinking like, okay, how, what are we going to do? You know? You can't, and you can't depend on the U.S. to take you out. You have to, you have to find your own way out, and you better be finding that now and thinking about two or three companies that you could literally call because international SOS won't be able to take everybody out. No, they'll end up being a first come first serve. You right. know, and then when their resources are tapped out, that's it. That's it. You're on your own. Right. 
And the other thing that, I mean, you want to get your, I mean, that you, you need to really focus on getting your people out, but then you better be thinking about, I'm leaving this office and we're never coming back more than likely. What, you know, what am I doing with all the stuff in my office? What about paper documents? What about drives? What about, you know, do you have a kill switch where you can just basically vaporize whatever's on a machine as you walk out the door? Do you have any files that are important? I mean, you better be thinking about that now because you just can't be thinking like opening the drawer, like going, oh, wow, what's in my file drawer? We've also got to think, uh, you know, if let's say 10 people, you're evacuating 10 people just for argument's sake. Um those 10 people, there's they got to be traumatized. Oh As my well, God, yes. And their you know, families. Yeah. And their families, you know, they're going to their office every day. They're doing what's expected of them. Then their office is raided or, um, you know, war breaks out or, you know, something, something else. But then it's now we got to get you out. So right. Get out. You know, what do I do? What do I do? Right. You know, where am I going? Right. Right. You know, yeah, we're taking you out. We, you're you're flying. Let's we'll use Beijing as an example. We're flying you out of Beijing, and you're going to uh, uh, Tokyo. I don't know anyone in Tokyo. Where am I staying in Tokyo? What what's going on? Right, all those different things you have to think of as well. And the question is, who do you evacuate? Because especially if it's a if it's a Chinese national, or it's a um, or maybe what happened is that you're you've got um, a spouse over there with a. Um, you know, two kids and you've got a nanny and you've got a cousin and you've got, I mean, when you're like, who is part of the evacuated party? It's not just the employee. Let's get real here, right? You're talking about family members. So you're not just talking about 10 people. You're talking about 10 people plus their spouse, their kids, and there might be other people. I mean, like uh, many organizations will say, well, you know, there, there could be an extended family, you know, of like, you know, and you have to be super clear. And that's where all of that needs to be figured out now. Yeah. Otherwise, uh, it's a mess. Yeah. It's an absolute mess. And how many suitcases can they take? And what should they expect? And where are they going? What are you paying for when they get there? And blah, blah, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Once you've got them out and let's say you're taking them to Tokyo, well, what happens when they're there? How right. long are they staying there? Right. Are you putting them in an apartment? How long are you paying for that? What are the expenses they should be expecting? What about their health care there? Yeah. What about pets? I mean, every little thing has to be taken into account. And you can't do that well on the fly. And so, mm -hmm. and most most companies don't think this way. They haven't more than likely had to do a country evac before because they've really never been probably in very un unstable places. Maybe Ukraine was the first time they actually really had to do that. Cause I had several clients where that was the first time they'd actually done a country event. So mm -hmm. I think there's a lot of things to consider. And I think there's a lot of things that were uh, continuity and crisis management professionals could actually make a good contribution. Um, you know, whether it's really helping people think through things, uh, working with other groups, departments like HR, thinking thinking about that, building these country evacs, looking at with corporate security, uh, working with other vendors like International SOS, et cetera, but really looking at having depth and really thinking through all of these issues and really doing a lot of brainstorming to make sure that you've actually thought through the major things that need to be covered in a country evac plan, as well as what you're doing to the, your office. And so just imagine if you were Bain and Company or one of these other ones that were, 
rated this weekend, you know, China, are they still going to be hanging around? You know, they're still there now, but are they going to be there a month from now? I don't know. Maybe not. I don't know. I'm not working for them, but. Yeah. 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 They could have their, you know, their office employees, especially those that are, have been uh, flown in to work there may turn around and say, I, I don't want to be here anymore. Get right. me out of here. Right. You know? Right. And now, yeah, it's nothing like having your office raided and being dragged off in the middle of the night to maybe think twice about wanting to have that job. Yeah. You know, <laughs> and now you've got, you, you may, as a, a, a company president sitting somewhere else, you may still want to be doing business there, but all your staff all of a sudden has said, we don't want to be here. Right. Send, right. Us, send us home. Not you so know, interested. We, we want to go home. Yeah. Not so interested. This isn't worth it. You know. So I think to me, the geopolitical issues of the three things that I mentioned, the economic, the geopolitical, and the societal. This is the one that right now, uh, based on the Ukraine-Russia issue and the China-Taiwan issue, and the China-Taiwan issue is huge. I, and a lot of people that are, are not, I mean, aren't really focused on how significant this could be, because it would bring in, you know, you know, hopefully it would not end up being a world war, but I mean, oh my God. Uh, but then it would bring in all those other nations that we talked about earlier, you know, like the Philippines and Japan and many parts of Asia. And oh my gosh. Yeah. So I think it, it's something that we need to really be thinking about. And this is actually what we do for a living. I know we don't normally think in this way, but we need to really broaden our horizon and think about this geopolitical issue as something that we need to be thinking about. Well, I, th- I think it's, it's kind of like the operational resilience, organizational resilience topic. You've got to think beyond the BIA. Oh my God, yes. You know, and, and and a contingency plan. Right. You know, we've got to look at everything that can impact those things, and not all of them are fires and floods. Right. <laughs> you know, and, or bad programming, or bad change management. You know, in, in IT or something. There are so many other things. And as I mentioned earlier, with supply chain, you know, it's interesting that some companies would not be thinking beyond that. You know, they're just thinking at the product or service. You know, if we can't get that, well, then who can I get it from? Mm -hmm. Well, maybe you can't get it because there's a geopolitical incident happening, which is a bigger picture than you getting your, your not getting, I should say, your product or your service. You know, that's. Yeah, you're looking at that, but you've got to look beyond why you're not getting it. Mm-hmm. And I think the thing that's, that, that's happened in China over the course of the pandemic is that certainly since Xi's been in power since 2012, he's been accumulating lots and lots and lots of power uh, in the course of his uh, terms. But certainly the pandemic gave him the opportunity to really have complete power over like all citizens because if you look at it now in China, everybody carries a mobile device. Everybody carries an app an app that basically tracks every one of their movements. I mean, they just know what's going on everywhere. And so they have the ability to control the population like hasn't been seen since Mao. And so I think there's a lot going on over there. Uh, and it's really terrifying. And he is wildly popular. And his mission is to, you know, make China... Uh, a significant world power, it already is, but I mean, to raise it to a greater degree. And he started a program in 2015 called Made in China 2025, of which the, there are nine industries, I think, that he really focused on them. Uh, I, I have a lot of clients currently right now that I'm focused on in our work because they're technology. And one of them is technology, and which he, they want to be by 2025. That's only 18 months from now. 
wants to be like the world leaders in a whole series of things. And one of them is semiconductors. All he has to do is acquire Taiwan to actually make that happen. But um, I mean, so there's 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 a lot of things that people should be aware of that things could really shift tomorrow and we should not be flat footed as an industry is what I'm begging my colleagues to think about. Yeah. We need to see beyond it. And the, the semiconductors, we already experienced that because of the pandemic when organizations shifted to work at home, suddenly, you know, the demand for uh, laptops and equipment went up like crazy and we just, couldn't keep up with it. We couldn't get it because of shutdowns and um, you know whether even if they were making the chips, right. they couldn't ship them because shipping right. oh, yeah, shut yes. down. You right. know, or they or they uh, you know we had the shipping available, but they couldn't make them because people weren't available. So we've already gone through that. You know, so yeah, you it, put that on steroids. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Put it on steroids now. Right. Yeah. You know, we only have two minutes left, Regina. <laughs> Any final thoughts? See, I told you we wouldn't get very far. Yeah, oh, my please. gosh. Well, I have more things to talk about next week, next month. But I think my final thoughts are, is I really would really ask all of our colleagues to really start focusing, for example, looking on China. And you may say that you don't have any work in China. You don't do anything there. But I want you to be really focused on how what happens in China and Taiwan in particular will have a huge impact on our industry worldwide. And so, again, go to Google Alerts and set some Google alerts for some of these things that you might want to be following. And for example, one of the things I get, I'm get i delivered now is Chinese raids uh, on Google alerts because, you know, there's been three in the last week. Um, and there's been more than that, but those are the most most prominent ones. So think about how, how you can actually make a contribution to your business. Follow some of these key issues. Don't be flat-footed. Raise the questions. Talk to your risk manager. Talk to your HR professionals. Talk to your corporate security. Ask them, do we have plans in place? Let me how let me see how I can contribute to the business continuity-related aspects or crisis management aspects based on what these current plans are for country evacs, et cetera. That's my homework assignment to our listening colleagues today. And I, and I wish we had time. We only have 30 seconds, but I know I wanted to touch base on protecting your employees too, because yes. of the arrests and the um, yes. and things that are happening, especially with Canada. We've had it happen quite a few times and we just had it happen again. Mm-hmm. So um, <clears throat> maybe next we'll month, next yeah, month. We'll, we'll touch on that next month. Regina, thank you very much. Uh, always a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you. It's always fun, Alex. And gosh, we just talk about things that's just going on and on, don't we? <laughs> Yeah, one day we'll have some good news or something. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wrong podcast for that, I'm afraid. I think so, yeah. Regina, thanks very much. You're welcome. until, Until next month. And everybody watching and listening, stay prepared, everybody. Thank you for joining us for Preparing for the Unexpected. Please tune in for another edition featuring your host, Alex Bullock, next Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time and 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We'll see you here next week.